Welcome back to another edition of the Start It Up podcast. No intro music today. Uh, today's episode's a little somber, and uh, I want to give you an advanced warning that the material um, on the show is pretty heavy and it's raw. Um, but it, it, our guest is is with Jason Reed. He is with ChooseLife.org. And unfortunately, he is the founder of an organization. And I say unfortunately because it um, this podcast and a lot of his mission uh, revolves around his son's death, uh, his son who took his life at age 14. But this is one that I, um, one, you know, it's May, it's mental health awareness. And so it's one that I wanted to share during this month. But secondly, it's, it's, this one's an important one to me. Um, matter of fact, two or three times, it's just, it was hard for me to listen to as a father and uh, have a conversation. And, and yeah, we had to edit out two or three points because we were both at a point where we had a hard time talking. Um, but this was a conversation between two dads and um, I, the unbelievable transparency and honesty is something that I cherish um, with this conversation with Jason. I think a lot of parents are going to listen to this. A lot of teachers are going to listen to this and get a lot of valuable lessons. Um, so if at times it gets a little heavy, again, advance warning. Um, but, and I feel really weird saying this because um, I don't want to sound like it's salesy, but this is the most important podcast I've ever done. And so um, not to sound like a YouTube guy of saying, hey, like, subscribe, and share, but this is one that I do want you to share if you feel so comfortable. If you're a parent, you need to listen to this one. If you have teenage kids, I would strongly recommend that they listen. And if you're a teacher, this is one that I really, really am going to ask that you listen to. Um, the content is just way too important. So um, lastly, at, towards the end of the podcast, he also shares uh, ways that you can support it. Uh, they're doing a documentary film. And, um, and hopefully they're, they're going to get this mission to where um, we're going to be more aware of the warning signs and, and we're going to start taking a, a serious look about the epidemic of, of teen suicide. So, um, yeah, uh, if, if you do um, share this one, I'll be forever grateful. And, and I, I even expressed this several times on the show. I'm, you know, this has been a, a bonding moment for Jason and I. We are definitely getting together and... Um, we're going to help each other out, but I, I, I feel strongly, strongly about supporting uh, his organization and uh, making sure this documentary film gets done and seen by as many people as possible. It will, it will save lives. So um, that's enough warning for me. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. So without further ado, Jason Reed. All right, now we're joined with Jason Reed. He is the founder of ChooseLife.org. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Don. It's uh, great to be here today. Yeah. Um, when we first connected, um, I had, uh, um, yeah, this is something I've been wanting to talk about for a while and, and I've wanted to center myself and, and be in the right space because uh, this is something that we both, when we connected, were um, – talking about the seriousness of something that that's a lot of times not even on our mind and it's not just the suicide awareness it's it's the things that surround it so let's let's start uh from the beginning and unfortunately why you started chooselife.org yeah um it was march of 2018 when my uh 
when my son turned 14 on the 12th, and then my wife and I were traveling on the 21st to celebrate her birthday, when uh, he sent us a text at 11 o'clock at night, and he was saying goodbye. And he killed himself that night. And that is why I'm here today. Because I didn't see it coming. I didn't know what to look for. I didn't realize he was hurting. I thought I had a great relationship with him. I thought everything was fantastic. Um, I have four kids. I had four kids. Of the grumpy teenagers, he was the least grumpy. At least that's what I thought. And... Um, that's where we are today. There's obviously more to it than that, but that's the, the quick version. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, as a dad, <laughs> um, it's hard for me to listen and, and, and put myself in that position. And, um, but let's, let's get into why, why there is a, a choose life.org. It's like you said it, like things seem to be fine. Um, and ironically enough, in our, you know, we we're talking about in our first conversation, uh, the last thing, last device or last thing you heard from them was from a device. There needs to be a serious discussion about devices and phones and our children. So can, can I start with that? Yeah. I mean, that, Donna, I, I've been, so I'm doing, let me back up a little bit more here and say that when I, you know, a couple of weeks after he passed, I was going through his drawers and going through all the stuff that um, he had in his room. And I opened up his top left-hand drawer and there were two post-it notes. One said, here's my user names and passwords. And the other one said, tell my story. And... That was a real gut punch because I didn't really know his story. But what it meant to me is that I had to talk about Ryan and other kids. So I started choose like right away. Actually, the day I got home from the hospital because he was, we took him off life support on the 26th. He attempted on the 21st. And I, uh, I felt I had needed to do something. So when I found the tell my story note, I realized I had to do a documentary film about teen suicide. And so that's what I'm deep into at this moment in time. We're halfway through filming. And that, and that, and that story, that film is all about essentially become my journey to try and figure this out, right? How did it start with Ryan? And then I've been interviewing families that have been through this, trying to say like, why, why is, why are we at where we at? Why is it that, um, a half a million kids a year attempt suicide and 5,000 actually die. Why is it the number two kill over our kids? Why is it up 70% since 2003? And that's through 2016. The 17, 18 numbers aren't out yet, but they're higher. They're worse. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. And then your question, well, why is it, what's it have to do with devices? Well, I, I'm not going to tell you, Don, that you need to take your kid's phone away but you do need to think about what they do on their phones. And I didn't think about it. Um, I gave Ryan a phone when he was 12 years old. 
and I didn't bother thinking about what was on that phone. I um, didn't have a reason to take it away from me. He was a great kid. He had great grades. He never got in trouble. Him and I had a wonderful relationship, but I didn't know what was really going through Ryan's head. Um, when I talk to these kids and we're filming now and I talk to them about social media, it's amazing what pops, what do you hear about how their lives are, how they Instagram, how they look at Facebook and how, how they're judging themselves on a daily basis to whether they measure up to everybody around them. And these are kids that might be extremely popular and they still are judging themselves how they measure up because it's right in their faces now. The, the world is so different than it was when I grew up. I'm 51 years of age. None of that existed, right? It was, it was a different world. I mean, am I making sense, Don? Oh, it, it, yes. Um, I Back when I'm not that much younger than you, just a little bit. And when we compared ourselves to a person, it was to five or six people. And at times, I mean, even I struggle with it. You know, I wasn't I wasn't a tough guy. I wasn't, you know, Mr. Football. Uh, I was a guy. And so, yeah, the... Like, but that was easy to cope with in, in, in retrospect. I'm, I'm comparing myself to five dudes um, that were stronger than me, better than me, whatever. And you're right. This, this constant comparison, um, and actually it's this duality that, that I see. It's that um, I see a lot of blame culture in social media. No one's responsible for anything. Everything's somebody else's fault. The world sucks and it's not your fault. And on the other hand, you see the, the paradox of that of, look at me, I am beautiful. Look at me, I am perfect. Look at me, I am happy in every single way. And they're not. Um, and it's those two opposing forces that I think there's just this tidal wave of everything does suck. It doesn't, but I can see how they get caught up in it. You know, like every, everything is terrible. And then they're like, well, then why does this guy look like this? Why does this girl look like that? Why can't I be in Maui? Why can't I have abs like that, et cetera, et cetera. And it is, this toxic too. The thing that I have guilt over, Jason, is that um, I have been a teacher that is fairly outgoing about social media use, responsible social media use. I, I tell my students, treat yourself like professionals online and people will treat you accordingly. I think we even probably met via LinkedIn and that was kind of, that's kind of our thing, right? Like I want my students to treat themselves like professionals, but I got to be honest with you. I got my start on Twitter. I've, I've actually been like, people like, Hey, where have you been? Cause I've backed away cause everybody's so political and angry, but I, I I've had even a couple teachers reach out to me and they're like, you know what? Don, the things you posted made me feel like I wasn't as good of a teacher. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not my point. And so, yeah, this, this constant, constant of look at me, look at me, look at me. While in one hand, it's awesome because you're showcasing what good you're doing. And in another hand, you might be making a person feel worse about themselves. So it is, it's, it's epidemic. Well, and, and when you think about it, that comment you just made that, you know, you made a teacher feel like they were inadequate, right? And you, you didn't intend to do that. But no. now, now drop down the age level to 12, 13, 14 years of age, 15 years of age. Now you're dealing with um, maturity and, and, all, and all the hormones that go along with you going through puberty. And there's not a single one of us that did not feel insecure when we were 14, 15 years of age. I don't care who you are. If, you're, if you are the, the um, quarterback on the football team or you are the head cheerleader or you are the valedictorian of school, you have moments in your life where you feel like you don't measure up and, and there's people better than you and people are looking at you and judging you. 
Every, it's normal. Every kid has those feelings, right? And now with Instagram, it's just elevated. It's just elevated because everybody else's life is better than my life. Right. And I don't measure up. No matter, it, it's not just kids who you would think are, are weaker than others, if you want to say that. Everybody feels that way. Every kid feels inadequate. And then you give them Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. And they feel worse. And then we don't, as parents, because we didn't grow up with this, we don't talk about it. We don't say, hey, let's go sit down and have this conversation about social media and what's really going on. Do you realize that that kid who just posted that selfie really doesn't have that great of a life? Their life's probably no better than yours. Just in that moment of time, they smiled on a camera. The same way as that I can make you smile right now for the camera, it doesn't mean you're happy. Yeah, It just means you smiled for the moment. Like we, we don't... We are not equipped as parents to deal with how fast this has come along because we didn't have, we didn't have it. We didn't know. We're trying to figure it out ourselves. We're looking at everybody else's Facebook going, their lives are better than mine. Well, imagine what your kids are thinking. Yeah. Right. And then they're dealing with puberty and growing up. And now uh, where, when, when, when we grew up, Don, I will, I know the faces of my bullies when I grew up. Right. <laughs> yeah. I can still see them. Yeah. And, and they were big guys. They were mean guys, right? We don't know the faces of our bullies the same way anymore. Yeah. And even that small little person who would never be a bully in another day and age is now a bully because they can hide behind. Oh, yeah. Instagram, right? And yeah. it's just like the world is so different. But as parents, we aren't paying as close attention to it as we should. Maybe some are. I'm sure some are, right? But a lot aren't. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the things that I think you said that I, I'm taking away as most valuable is that there needs to be the dinner conversation, like a, a deliberate one, you know, and, and, and by the way, I, I get so t- I'm kind of worn out on the doofus dad stereotype. Um, dad jokes and dads are so goofy and say, you know what, we love each other and we, 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 we want, we want what's best, but that quintessential dad and mom or whomever's in the family sit down. Like, I know this is going to be uncool. However, let's have an honest discussion on what you're posting and what you're constantly viewing. And, and you're right, like flipping through things and just being reinforced that you're not there. You don't look that way. You don't, and, and, and the point you made was glorious is you see that person that's smiling. I wonder if that's really happiness. That, that, that is a conversation that like everybody right now listening to this podcast, if you have kids, have that conversation. Well, well, here's another interesting thing, right? Is that when I, when I'm interviewing these kids for the documentary and I'm asking them, so what do you wish? And these are kids that attempted at young ages and are, and, and, and they're still with us. And, and, and I believe they will be forever because they've learned so much about themselves. But I said, what do you, what do you wish your friends did? What do you wish your parents did uh, differently? Yeah. And, and universally, they're saying, I wish wished harder to have a conversation. Mm. I wish when I said I was fine, they went deeper. Yeah. And they didn't accept that because I wasn't fine okay so these are kids saying that in hindsight and i agree with them but in the moment the most cliche answer how's your day at school fine yeah the shutting down of the conversation how do we lovingly 
pry. Well, and, th- and that's the stuff that we have to get better as parents. And, I, and I'm learning things about this, right? I'm learning like, um, I'm learning how to ask, have those conversations. And one of them is you, your, parent, your kids have to understand that you're not going to judge them because we want to fix things, right? They're afraid if they tell us how they really feel, we're going to say, well, you shouldn't feel that way because this, this, and this. You have a great life. What's your problem? You're, there's nothing wrong with you. Why are you looking like that way? What they all want to hear is talk to me, tell me how you feel. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to try to fix you because they can't be fixed. They're not cars. They're people. So the first thing is, can you get them to understand that? Just tell me how you feel. It's okay. Are you sad? Are you not sad? Tell me what made you feel sad today. Have you felt sad lately? Have you felt mad lately? Dr. Mark Golston does the great thing on the seven words and you look him up. The seven words you're going to ask someone, I wish I could talk to them off the top of my head right now. I don't want to steal his, his thunder, although I'm, I want to have them in my movie. It's just, you know, if you bring up things like, have you felt sad? Have you felt mad? Have you felt happy? When did you feel that way in the last couple of months? And tell me about it. Well, I felt sad. Well, when did you feel sad? Well, I felt sad when I was at school and this happened. Well, why did that, that make you feel sad? But don't try to fix them. Just try to talk to them. Yeah. These kids cool. don't want to be fixed. That's it was abundantly clear. All they want is someone to talk to them yeah. and listen to them and hug them. Boy. <laughs> um, okay. So I, th- this one's really hitting home. I, I, I will say this. Um, <laughs> I've got two daughters and, and a little guy. And uh, if there's one thing I know that they appreciate more about their mom is my wife listens and she'll ask a couple of probing questions. And I fight the temptation to say, well, here's where you're going wrong in a Cliff Clavin like way, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> hey, no, I mean, you got to because I, I, I want to fix things. I think that I have an answer. And when I have to stop and and think about it and say oh you know why do you feel this way because oftentimes when you when you give a, a a kid to to listen to themselves talk out loud they come to their own realities and they you know they they're led there <clears throat> by good questions instead of forced there by cliff offering his opinions and well, so is, yeah yeah go ahead i'm sorry no i'm saying as, as parents it's normally i did the same thing I probably still do the same thing. My kids would come to me with a problem and I would say, well, here's how you fix it. Like, here I am. I'm a guy. I'm a CEO. I'm a CEO coach. I build companies, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I've done all this stuff, right? I, I send on my entire day. It's fixing people's problems. People come to me when they're, when they can't figure it out for themselves or they need advice. That's how I spend my day. Right? So I naturally assume that when my kids come to me, I'm supposed to fix their problem. And, it, and it's the exact opposite. They just, I just should be there to listen and not offer an opinion. They don't want my opinion. When they want my opinion, they'll ask. What they want is a dad to listen, for mom to listen, and not judge them for the fact that they make no sense. Uh, that was literally my, my next question that was hard is like, you're a, you know, a high-powered CEO coach and like how that though, like everything you just said about what you should do is the exact opposite. Like people pay you to fix problems and, and coach them up. And so I, I, 
you know, you've already answered it. Like, you know, all of a sudden you, you, the role of dad is much different than CEO coach. Um, well, yeah, because people pay me because they're saying, tell me what to do. Tell me how, how do we, how do I fix this problem? My kids aren't saying, how do I fix this problem? They're saying, here's how I feel. Man. Um, all right. So let's, let's get into now that like you'd mentioned it briefly, you, you're, you're doing a documentary film, which for the record, I, I just love that. I, I, I don't think there's anything more powerful than, than, than story and story on film. So um, obviously you've mentioned it. That, so the production's already underway, but give us some insight on, on what you're working on and, and when do you expect it to, to, to be done? Yeah. So we're, 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 we're probably halfway through filming right now. It's in, in conjunction with Cinema Libre Studios. They've done, you know, they distributed about 150 documentaries, cause-based documentaries. They've done about 50 themselves. Uh, Philippe Diaz, um, well-known in, in Hollywood and, um, studios in Burbank. And he came to me wanting to do this documentary with me. So we partnered on it. Um, and I've got a great director, great production team. And we're, we filmed a bunch already and we're filming again in June, July. And our goal is to have everything edited and out to uh, Sundance at the end of August with hitting the film festivals in January, February, March. And I want to be out to the public in March. So that'll be probably 10, 11 months from the, from the date we started, which is pretty fast for a documentary. Um, but I want to have it out there because I want people to see it. And the goal here is, you know, a lot of suicide or suicide awareness documentaries are, are you know, here's talking to a kid saying, hey, don't kill yourself because there's a lot to live for. And, and that's, I think that is a really good message. Um, they're also go very broad in terms of we've got some veterans and we've got some kids and we've got, I'm, I'm very narrow into the teen space because I think it's important to stay within the teen space for this. Um, but the message is really, really the parents. And the message is this movie is really for the parents more than it's for the kids. It's like, here's a bunch of kids and how they feel. Listen to them. Here's a bunch of parents and how what they went through. Listen to them. Here's the stuff that I've realized from my own journey, because it's really my journey to discover what, what's going on here. Um, question, you've got to question whether a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old should have access to social media. Um, I know we do it because we don't want to be the only parents that don't give their kids access to social media, but there's overwhelming evidence that it's not a great thing for kids. Uh, I'll tell you another thing that's not a great thing that's coming up in this movie because I discovered it myself. Um, Don, think about this for a second. We give our kids, you would never, I, I live near San Diego. I'm an hour north of San Diego. I would never say to Ryan, hey, Ryan, tell you what, it's Saturday night. I'm going to take you down to the border of Tijuana. Why don't you go across the border of Tijuana at two in the morning by yourself? Wander around the streets on a Saturday night and see what you learn. I'll see you in the morning. That'd be crazy, right? Yeah. 14 years kid. That'd be absolutely crazy. Yeah, nuts. Right. But what I did do is, hey, Ryan, here's the internet on your phone. And you can look at that any time of the day you want. And all the deepest, darkest, baddest things in the world are on the internet. Feel free to go check them out by yourself. Mm-hmm. And Ryan... Use that phone to research how to kill himself. Mm. So that's what we do when we hand our kids a phone and the internet unsupervised. Yeah. 
So the computer that's in his room, that I open the door, the, the computer screen's right there and I can see exactly what's on his computer screen. Yeah, his history was just uh, him researching trips him and I were gonna take in the schoolwork. His history on his phone was deleted, but I knew this because the message, the, the letter he sent told me that's what he did. So we're, people, we're worried about the wrong stuff in life, right? We're worried, we're, we're, parents say, I blocked all the adult sites on my kid's phone. My job is done. Yeah. That's not the worst stuff on the internet. Right. Yeah. That's not the worst stuff. Right. Right. There's very scary. The scariest stuff in the world is on the internet. And we let our kids just go there unsupervised on the phone. So I challenge parents that at 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age, does your kid's phone need to have access to the internet? Or they need access to the internet, they can do it on the computer where you can see them. Yeah. You wouldn't send them down to TJ at two in the morning by themselves. Why do you let them roam the world by themselves? It just doesn't, I, I, mean, I, I screwed up. Well, and, and I think that, and unfortunately, like this, this reminds me so much of, of Tony Dungy's situation. Um, by all, you know who Tony Dungy is, correct? Uh, remind me. Uh, he's the former Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Indianapolis Colts football coach. I mean, an unbelievably caring, like his persona is he's, he was the dad. Matter of fact, when, when former players talk about Tony, they like, they get teary eyed. He is the quintessential dad. He has written books about being a father. Matter of fact, he runs all pro dad. His son yeah. killed himself. Yeah. I mean, nothing like this man reeks of goodness and kindness and he didn't know. He didn't see it. Um, and the re the reason why, you know, I'm, I'm from Indianapolis and, and unfortunately when it happened, he, he was the coach uh, of the Colts, but it was one of those things that like, this is, this is Mr. Perfect and still, but I think that's the cautionary tale that, you know, it's not just, you know, the kids that are struggling because their parents are abusive or they're alcoholics or anything else. It is a problem. And, and when you can talk about the fact that a guy as, as outgoing as Jason and as successful as Jason and as outgoing and as successful as Tony. Now people like to, it's not, so you can't just excuse it away. Well, I, I, I live in a good neighborhood. Doesn't happen to our kids. You know, I, I it's, it is, <laughs> it is. And, and in some cases uh, the numbers are showing it's actually um, it's, it's hitting upper middle class worse than anybody not that i'm asking for a pity party but that's that's kind of where it's at the the old thought of well that's for the people that are truly suffering and, and no suffering is taking a different it's, it's really not for it's not the kids the kids in some ways and i i have no science behind this so i'm just going to make the comment from some of the stuff i'm seeing is that it's not really the kids from for, that are have tough lives the kids tough lives and they're trying to figure out tough lives. Um, this is like kids in Northern California in, that has a whole bunch of challenges with this in great neighborhoods. This is kids in Colorado and Denver in amazing neighborhoods that this is becoming a huge problem. This is where kids should not have this problem. They are having this problem. We are, no one is immune to it. In fact, if you think money saves you, it doesn't. Yeah, at all. 
No, it doesn't. And, and thus the conversations you need to have now, um, which by the way, I, I wanted to get this. Uh, so if you're interested in, in a help supporting the film or even getting more information, choose life.org slash film, or just go to the website, choose life.org. You can find out a lot about there. Uh, um, can I give you one more thing? Because you asked me oh, the yeah, yeah. conversation with your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what this is really all about. Because I, don't, I want parents to understand not just what your kids want, but how do you have the conversation? So one of the girls in the film, Camilla Lara, she, she attempted when she was 13. Sorry. Beautiful girl. And at 16, I was talking to her and she said, Jay, you want to know the craziest thing? And this is a wonderful girl, cheerleader, just a wonderful, wonderful girl from a great family. And she said, you know, the craziest thing is that after I attempted, I went into therapy and I, and they gave me a happiness plan. And I, well, what's a happiness plan? She goes, well, I had to write out when I feel sad, what are the five to 10 things that make me happy? So my dog playing ukulele, going to a movie with my mother make me happy. So, and I had to commit to putting that on my wall so that when I got sad and when I got dark, I would have to go and look at that thing and go through that list and try those things. And by the time I got down the list, three or four things, I forgot about being sad because I was going to the things that make me happy. So when you, if you want to have an interesting conversation with your kids, and I'm just in the middle of putting this, her, her, her happiness plan in a document that'll be up on the website, but you don't need the document. You can do it today. It's like, why don't you sit down with your kids and say, okay, I want you to write down the five things that make you happy, the 10 things that make you happy. And I'm going to do the same. We're going to do it together. It'd be fun. Mm. If your kid can't come up with a few things that make them happy, there's your red flag. Yeah. Right. I don't think anything makes me happy. I can't think of what makes me happy. There's your conversation. There's your challenge. There's, there's, there's when you realize you probably have a problem. Yeah. Now, if you're Ryan the week before he died, he probably gave me 10 things that make him happy because he already made his plan. So it's not a perfect fix, right? But it's a way to start a conversation. One thing that I, I, and by no means was this my idea. Matter of fact, I'm fairly sure that it was Sean Acker on a TED talk, but one of the things that he recommended doing and that I, I, I enjoy doing it myself is, uh, I send an email or a DM or a text of gratitude every day, never to the same person in a calendar year. Yeah. Because it's hard after the first week. <laughs> my wife, a couple of my kids, <laughs> I should be all with my kids, um, uh, mom and dad, whatever. After a couple of weeks, you're like, okay, so. But what I'm doing is I'm scanning my brain to see the good in the world. And sometimes I can't think of anybody and that I'll see something on the news and saw somebody did something nice. I will go out of my way to see if I can find a contact information. Sometimes they're on uh, Facebook, sometimes they're uh, whatever. Hey, saw what you did. You're amazing. Here's what normally happens. And, and of my students, I beg for my students to do this. And the, of those that, that follow through with this, here's what they, resp they report. I'm appreciated. When, when, when you are trying to look for the good in the world and you acknowledge that someone's good, it comes back to you. And um, that would also be my happiness plan. Um, you know, I, I think one of the true basic purposes is, is to love and be loved. And so uh, that starting off of what you're grateful for 
is essential. And then also letting somebody else know that you're grateful for them is like, I would encourage anyone to do it. It's, it's difficult. It's time consuming at the end of the night. Um, but yeah, th- those, those moments of gratitude and, and like the girl said, this writing down, like, you know what, come to think of it. Damn, I love my dog. I love playing the ukulele. I love hanging out with my mom. I mean, those, those are awesome. And, 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 and things that you just don't think about as you're flipping through somebody's feed. Well, and, and just the whole idea, like my own therapist, I haven't, I've never been depressed. I don't know what that's like, but I, I do have, you know, I'm dealing with my own grief and this film and choose And it's a lot, right? Because I talk about this every day. So I've got, you know, pretty much a therapist on full time to talk to whenever I need to. And, and one thing she has me doing is just saying, okay, at the end of the day, I want you to write down, you know, what you feel great about. What, what do you feel was, went well today? Your gratitude statements for the day. And in the beginning, I'm like, I don't need to do that. Why do you, why do you, why do you? And she's like, just do it. So once I sat down and started writing out the gratitude statements I had for the day, what, what was I happy about that happened today? It's amazing what happens to your head, how your head gets rewired to think about the, the good things in life, not the bad things in life. But just by taking the time to write them up at the end of the day and think of them. And then do what you do. Take it one step further and tell other people what you, what you feel great about about them. That's, that's even a, a step in a even much better way, and I should do that. Um, yeah. But it's, the, the thing that people need to understand is that therapists don't stop our kids from killing themselves. Yeah. We all think that if my kid is sick or my kid has a problem, I'll get them a therapist. They're going to see that therapist once every two weeks. If they find the right one and if you can get them in and if they actually connect with that therapist. I mean, a lot of times the kids in therapy actually do still kill themselves a lot more often than you want to, we want to admit. The thing that stops someone from killing themselves is someone else being there at one in the morning to take that phone call and give them a hug. That's why people don't kill themselves. That's why kids don't kill themselves because there was someone there who loved them when they needed it. um, Yeah. um, It's not putting myself in your shoes. I I, I can't imagine. Um, it's, it's been, and I think a lot of teachers would acknowledge this. Uh, they, there's just, I think, I don't think there, there's a teacher listening to this that hasn't had a former student. I don't know, may, maybe I could be wrong, but it's, it's been way too prevalent. And, and I think that that's the thing that haunts um, most teachers is that um, you want that bond um, you, you want them like, I don't know, there's this guilt. I, it's, it's funny. I, I, and I hope he doesn't actually, he told me I could talk about it, but I won't say his name, but, uh, a former student, um, reached out to me two weeks ago and he was telling me and I, and, and, and everything looked great. And he was telling me, um, that he enjoyed the class and, you know, he enjoyed our talks and, and that, uh, he was, um, he had, he had, uh, attempted and I was like, I, I was hurt. Um, and the sense of like, why didn't, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you say anything? Because when you do lose a student and you go through those range of emotions, like why didn't I have my phone on or why didn't you call me and things of that nature? The, the one thing he said, he says, well, I didn't want to let you down. 
And, you know, in a lot of ways that hurts even more. Um, But we're always, I think most teachers are always vigilant of trying to look for those things, Um, trying to look for any source of warning signs and daggone if people aren't really good at putting on their best face. And, and um, I, I think that's my question to you, you know, have, having interviewed people and having talked to students and having talked to, you know, therapists and everybody else, how do you seek out the kid that's really good on putting on a really good face? I, I don't know the best way to answer that because that was Ryan. Like none of his teachers saw this coming. Um, we didn't see it coming. But when I look back on it, Don, I gotta be—I gotta be honest with myself. There were signs as a parent that he was changing. He was more time in his room, cared a little less about his schoolwork, a little more grumpy, and it wasn't just the fact that he was starting to go through puberty. And I didn't probe. I didn't ask the questions. I didn't sit down with him enough. I said, "Hey, how you doing? I'm fine." Okay, you sure. Yeah, fine. All right, see you at dinner. I didn't go deep enough. I didn't ask how he was really feeling. Um, But there were signs now that I look back on it. I can't expect a teacher to see those signs the same way in a kid who's trying to hide it, right? Because they don't see the grumpy kid necessarily at home. They're going to be grumpier at home. Um, And and by no means do I want to give anybody the impression that every kid is going to try kill themselves because that's not true the problem is we just don't know which ones are and which ones aren't so you got to ask everybody the questions you have to go deeper with all of them and make sure they're okay i mean the challenge too is you think about we talk about things like mental illness and we give kids say tell them that mental illness is a normal thing well when you when i say mental illness to a kid what does that mean what do they think of when i say mental illness to you don what do you think of I, in my 1980s brain, you're crazy or you're just depressed. Yeah. Or you're the Joker from Batman. And oh, yeah. Right. Because it, we, we, we think about mental illness as a bad thing. And we shouldn't talk about mental illness with kids in my mind. We should talk about their health of their brain, their brain health. Kids need to understand that, you know what? It can be just like getting the flu. And that's how depression can come on, how anxiety can come on. If you, if you have the flu, you'll take, go home, take a couple of days off, tell your friends you're, you're sick. You go to the doctor, maybe you get some medicine, maybe you get healthier because you stay home for a couple of days. But if you, don't, if you have the flu and you don't go to the doctor, you could die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we need them to understand that their brain health is the same way. We need, we need to be able to get kids and adults to talk about brain health the same way we talk, and I'm using that, I don't care what term you use, I just don't like mental illness. Um, because I think it's just bad connotations. But we need to talk about the same way as we talk about our regular health. Like, wouldn't it be great if, um, you know, it's January 1st and people are saying, hey, what, what's your New Year's resolution? Well, I need, to, I need to lose 15 pounds. I need to go to the gym. Because we do that all the time. We talk about our physical health, no issues. Everybody talks about how they need to change their diet, blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't it be great to say, I need to work on my anxiety. I get real anxiety when it comes to this, this, or this. And it would be an open conversation. We could talk about the same way as we talk about, I need to lose 15 pounds. 
Yeah. I, I like the way you just put that because it, it sounds, yeah, it's, 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 it's part of your routine maintenance. Got to, you know, got to, got to make sure I'm healthy. And there's several factors to that. So I, I, I liked, I really enjoyed actually the way you said that. Um, one last thing. And if, and this is, if it's too personal, then feel free to, to, to pass. You're throwing yourself into a project and you are unbelievably busy. Um, is this, is this your way to, to, to get through? Is this your, um, is this therapeutic for me? Is that yeah, what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. In a roundabout way. Is this, is this the way you're, you're healing? I wish I could say yes, because then it would make it a lot easier. Yeah. But the reality is, Don, what I want to do is the same thing that most people or a lot of people from my situation want to do. Yeah. I want to run away to an island and not talk to anybody again. Yeah. That's what I want to do, but that's not who I am. I need, if, if I don't make a difference, if I don't try to change what's going on here, then Ryan's death was in vain and all these other kids, it'll just keep continuing. And the idea that we're raising awareness for teen suicide, I'm sorry, it's not working, it's getting worse. Yeah. We need to take a different path here. And that's where I founded ChooseLife.org. And that's where I put my flag in the ground and said, I want to end teen suicide by the year 2030 because no one's saying they want to end teen suicide or at least not as loudly as I want to say it. We're all saying we want to raise awareness and we want to end the stigma. And it's all great stuff, but we need a different path. Yeah. And I don't know how to end it. I have some ideas that are on my website. I want to be the spark that gets everybody to have this conversation in a different way because if we don't all try to end it, it's going to continue. But is it therapeutic? No, it's really crappy. Yeah. Not just me being honest. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, the thing I hate about um, your mission and, and why and why I want other people to join you and then I'll pledge my support and more than just financially is that uh, you you have this mission out of this and um, I'm I'm hoping that uh, more um, parents will hear this and um, that they don't need to start a foundation. Um, that they can see this a lot earlier um, because I, I, I've, uh, I'm looking at a picture of your family and um, I, as, as, <laughs> um, as one dad to another, um, I, I, yeah, I, you, you guys are the picture perfect family and um, I, I, I so admire you um, for, for taking this journey. And, um, I know <laughs> this is my happy point. <laughs> I'm getting to it. Um, I know 
that the, the, the journey you're going to take is going to be so impactful for so many families. And uh, I can't wait um, for this film to make parents sit down with their you know, daughter or son and uh, have these conversations that, that uh, too often we overlook. And, and for that, um, I, I thank you. I, Look, here, Don, I, just, I don't want other parents to go through what my family's going through. I can tell you, there's that old phrase that you know, money can't buy happiness. Yeah. I never understood that. I always thought if you're a happy person, you had money, you're just happier. So why can't, it was fine. That's what I used to tell people. It's like, if you're, if you, and you know what, it's better to be sad. If you're still a sad person, if you have money, well, that's better being a sad person with no money. I never understood what that meant until now, because I can tell you right now, money doesn't buy happiness. Yeah. It can't. Okay, sorry, Jason, uh, we are back. We had a um, side moments there, and I'm glad we, we got to share things, and we're, 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 we're more level-headed now, and, and I, I just once again want to point people in the direction of all the things that you're doing. Again, um, go to chooselife.org. Um, what, other, what other things should we look at, Jason? How do we contact you? Um, I see there's a donate now button there. Yeah, what know, else? The best way is choose choose-life.org. Choose there's a TED talk on there I did that I love every parent to see. Um, and if you need if reaching out to me, it's J A Y at choose-life.org. Um, and um, that's my direct personal email. And I'm happy to talk to anybody who who wants to talk and wants to help because uh, I can't do this by myself. And there's one thing I realize I I'm I'm not a guy who's good at anything. I'm a good, I'm a guy who's good at helping find people who are great at things. And that's all I want to do here is find the people who are the best in the space and get us all focused on trying to solve this problem. Well, I, this is a, I think this is the most important podcast I've ever done. And I want to thank you for a, um, I'm glad we connected. Thank you for that. Uh, and B, I, I was being sincere when I'm telling you, I, I, take great satisfaction knowing that your journey, your son's journey, the fact that he wanted to share the story and the fact that you're going to make a documentary is going to make a lot of parents aware and have some conversations that we need to have. So for that, man, sincerely from the bottom of my heart, I sincerely thank you, Jason. Don, thank you. Um, I look forward to spending more time with you and, um, and thank you for all the work you're doing. All right. Thanks so much.